Welcome to the Metric Stack Podcast. Your hosts, Alan Villa and Lauren Thibodeau, will talk to founders, leaders, marketers, and more to uncover how they succeed with data. Whether you're struggling with data, reluctant to take the leap, or maybe you're a seasoned expert with years of experience, you'll hear stories from people like you who have used data to grow and scale their business. Andrew Miller is the founder and CEO of Relogix a workplace insights platform analyzing over 20 million square feet of office space globally. A technology executive and commercial real estate veteran, Andrew has led large teams and has built companies from the start to the exit. A future enthusiast, he's a hacker at heart, always looking for easier, better, and more efficient ways to solve problems using the latest technology. Andrew, we're delighted you could join us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be on the show. Andrew, you founded Relogix over 10 years ago, 2010, a long time before COVID sort of changed everybody's lives. Let's take it back a bit because I'm super curious, you know, how did you, how did you come up to the idea of getting into this space? You know, tell us what Relogix is in, in a nutshell. Alan, we had two kind of phases of our growth when we started, when I started Relogix about 10 years back, we've always been a data company, right? From the first day, we've always been in the same space. We've always been working with a fortune 1000 size companies, companies who have a lot of real estate space either nationally or, or globally. Early days, we were an old school uh, BI, like a business intelligence data warehousing shop, a bunch of data plumber guys, uh, services organization, primarily delivering systems integration, that type of stuff. Uh, you know, we always had the same challenge. Customers were trying to have a single source of truth, for all their real estate and occupancy data throughout their portfolios. Early days, we were into BI and and realized, and then the, there was the genesis of our uh, hardware solution, our IoT and sensor solution, realizing huge opportunity to start to collect uh, real-time data when IoT arrived. And so we spun off and headed down the road to building some hardware. This was a major departure. So you were a services company. I mean, where was the data coming from in the first place? I mean, if you didn't have any sensors 10 years ago, how was this data coming into play and what prompted you to build your own hardware solution? Yeah, early days, we were stuck with structured and unstructured data that came from other real estate applications. You know, the corporate real estate world is pretty mature and there's a lot of different sources, HR, IT, occupancy projects, you know, there are a lot of data sources and traditional methods of building a data warehouse reporting repository and integrating and consuming data and then trying to make sense out of it. That, that was, you know, traditional methods. But really, really bad data. Well, yeah, I mean, as, as soon as you said unstructured data, you know, I picture a whole army of, you know, recent grads sitting in a back room trying to go through <laughs> PDF documents and other things. It was horrendous. The real estate world is, is, has always been really bad data. Spreadsheets like Spreadmarts, you know, everybody's managing data and massive spreadsheets. And that still happens today. So you can imagine you're trying to tease out insights and the data is terrible. The biggest pain was just the simple occupancy data of, you know, how is our space being used? And the fundamental challenge they had was they sent somebody around, uh, tried to send somebody around once a year with a clipboard and counted people. That was how they collected data. And if you have a global portfolio of millions and millions of square feet, you got to be kidding me, right? Okay. So times have definitely changed. So you got into the hardware space. And now I know that again, you're sort of coming full circle and you're getting a little bit more into the software space again. So, I mean, we'll touch on that later. Tell me about some of those early metrics. You know, were there metrics that, that helped you decide that you needed to get 
get into the IoT space. What were some of the early memories of using data for your own company? Let's say the top 25 real estate metrics that the industry has followed and had scorecards for for the last 25 years. But really, when you boil it down, the cost per person, the cost per square foot, you know, real estate is big a big operational burn, right, on a company. It's very much about cost. And then the Eureka moment for me was the occupancy data we realized and had known from the beginning that the world's real estate has been sitting half empty and always has been. And the Eureka moment was how are we going to convince the CFO and the senior leaders of real estate in these organizations that we have to do something about this? It's just so massively inefficient and there's so much waste. And it just, you know, hasn't really been, it's always been a focus, but it's been fairly nascent and it's been good enough. People were satisfied with the fact that they had too much space, but it was okay. And we can, we can live with that uh, fact. And, and for me, that was just unacceptable. It just, we had to find a way to convince them with objective data that their, their waste is real. That's hundreds of millions of dollars in waste. And if we could surface it with objective data, we could convince them to act on it. And sensors was, was the obvious when the price of sensors started to fall and IoT became real. There was an opportunity and we thought, man, if we could deploy these sensors around the office and collect real data and collect it in real time, there's no, nobody could, it's not subjective anymore. This is the real deal and you, you can't, people trust data. People, when you bring objective data in front of leaders and sit them down and say, this is the data, uh, it's difficult for them to wiggle their way out of it. Andrew, I want to come back to sensors in a moment, but let me just pick up on your Eureka moment. So you had a Eureka moment yourself. You had this epiphany, holy, we can actually now show that there's all this waste in the system. Can you take us back? What was it like the first conversation you had where you got a CFO to have that eureka moment? Take us back. Yeah, the eureka for me was I read some books and IoT, you know, that was when I was just sitting there going, oh my God, this sensor technology, this could actually work for real estate. And I'd been working with a lot of corporate real estate leaders and knew for sure that they had uh, major challenges. And some of them, you know, were focused on trying to figure out how to reduce and make better use of of their portfolios. And when I sat them down and said, listen, I think we can figure this out. It's more so like with the corporate real estate leaders. And you can take that to your CFO and you can sit them down and have a business case that really holds water that you could save the company a tremendous amount of money forever if they would fund you going out and collecting this objective data. And then, okay, cool. then it was game on. So let's pick up on the sensor. So IoT was a whole new area. Hardware was new for you. And so here you are, you're running a company that has both a hardware component and a software component. Were the metrics for both second nature to you and your senior leaders or was one tougher than the other to ramp up on? Yeah, exactly. If I could go back in time, whose idea was it to get into the hardware business? My Lord. <laughs> <laughs> my whole career has been in software right from the first day and it's like I always had this uh, my dad was an engineer and and he always said to me and I remember it clearly like you're never really gonna software's fine but you're never really gonna love it until you build something you can hold in your hand that's what it's all about and he was oh I can I can picture I can picture the the father figure looming over his son you know like telling him the way it's gonna be right and you're sort of listening right so <laughs> I'm going to go into finance. I'm a BCom and I'm going to study numbers <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. And ah, that's a waste of time. This there's nothing to, like, that's not meaningful. That's not going to impact anybody. You got to build something. Um, Here you are building something. Oh my God. So 
I always joke, you know, hard hardware. It's hard, like no kidding. Making that transition from software to hardware has been uh, the biggest challenge for sure. Far and away, I, I find it far more difficult. Uh, moving into a world where you're uh, collecting data using a hardware device and then trying to understand it's all about signal and noise and it's a, about you know things like packet loss and signal strength and battery consumption and this is hardcore stuff and it's pattern recognition data it's streaming data it's a whole different universe and for sure no question it's been a real challenge and it's taken us now so we're about six years doing the hardware piece now we finally nailed it but but it's been it's been six long hard years of doing that and then we're applying all our heritage of real estate data and then bringing in this new real-time world that we're collecting with hardware and we're the first like we're pioneers in bringing sensors to the office so it's new to everybody and it's it's, it's still really very much in its infancy as far as the technology goes and how much of the world's real estate is covered with sensors. It's a, just a tiny, tiny little sliver so far in the world. So outside of the data that the sensors are collecting and that your your customers are using and what metrics that they're monitoring, tell me about Relogics. Are you monitoring different gross margins? Are you sort of having to think about cash and inventory differently? Like I think most of the listeners on this podcast are, are going to be in the software space. You know, and, and anything hardware is is really, it's it's deep and scary stuff, right? So are there different data points or metrics or sensitivities that you've got to consider to, you know, keep the company surviving and thriving? Absolutely. There's the the product side of the business. So when you look at the product side, there's, there's traditional metrics around on the product side, but you have hardware and software and they're two different domains. But the traditional metrics are, are all still there with respect to running a SaaS company. There's You look across every operating aspect of the company. From a metrics perspective, we cover all the traditional SaaS metrics and company metrics that you would you would follow. But our product just happens to be when you get into the product side, you've got to dig in a lot deeper on both sides of SaaS software metrics, as well as metrics that are coming from how do you operate, maintain and manage a global deployed inventory, mm -hmm. right? And physical hardware introduces inventory management and, and all the metrics associated with the cost of capital, working capital. Uh, it's very capital intensive. So cash management and understanding your cash flows and are a lot different when you have a hardware component than you have a SaaS component. And it's a lot more difficult to scale that than it is a just a straight up SaaS company. And would you say, and, and I know, I mean, the future may be changing, but would you say that the hardware was the wedge in the door to sort of get customers excited? And then the data was the thing that sort of got them really attached and, and seeing the value? Or was it the data and the hardware was sort of the, the necessary evil? Early days, you know, and still probably today, it's it's really cool. It's still like my dad said, it's really cool to have something you hold in your hand that collects data. So no matter what, when you're selling to somebody, they look at the, the device and they think, isn't that, that's really cool. And you put it in and it collects data. But the reality is, and we've learned, is that, of course, it's the outcomes that you, and the insights you tease out of the data that comes from a data collection device. And that's all it is. It's a piece of hardware. It collects some data. The data flows up into our cloud, and then finally we can turn that data into meaningful insights for a customer. And that's where, you know, for us, workplace analytics is our business. It's about the outcomes, and it's about how do we help uh, an organization to better manage their real estate portfolio. It's got nothing to do with hardware, but it. it's like razors and blades, I like to say, right? The more infrastructure we deploy with our sensors around the world, 
the more data we're capturing, the bigger our database of benchmarkable data gets and yeah. the more powerful that infrastructure becomes to, to scale the business across and, and add SaaS and software applications that on top of the, the deployed infrastructure. How important are those benchmarks? I mean, it's always a it's always a term that sort of piques my interest. Uh, everybody always wants to compare themselves to their neighbor, their their next best, you know, the best in class. How are you guys using benchmarks? Is it a selling tool as well? Is it something that your customers are asking for? I think today with what's happened in the world is suddenly there is a tremendous blind spot. The world has changed. The office has changed. The blind spot is that nobody really has benchmarkable data around how people are going to interact with the office anymore. We call it intent versus behavior. So try it, try to understand how my people as a company, my personas and my different types of people who are working from home, working from everywhere and coming to the office, what is that model going to look like in that pattern? And how is it going to unfold in front of us? It's all the historical data, the benchmarkable data that we had is a lot of it's out the window. It's a pattern that we don't understand how it's going to unfold. Nobody knows the answer yet. And so we're trying to model the behavior of how people will come into the office. When will they come? What type of office space are they going to want to use when they come to the office? How much collaboration space are we going to need? How is that going to change from the models that yeah. we traditionally have measured, right? It's all different. Andrew, you have perhaps one of the best crystal balls on this out there, given your window into the data. Like, what do you see if you look ahead one, two, three years? What do you see being the new normal in commercial real estate? No question, there will be a larger percentage of people that will continue to work from home and work from anywhere. And the need to come into the office is in question as far as how often and when do you need to be there. So we absolutely know that it's changed. And the future, I think, is going to be about we finally, finally, finally have the opportunity to run real estate more efficiently. Mm -hmm. Everybody has the light has come on and everybody has realized, oh, my God, it's been so efficient. Our offices have been half empty. Why don't we just change it now so that we can actually use the office more effectively, have just enough real estate to service what we believe is what our people need in the way of the office and reduce all that massive waste that used to be there. And and now it's it's not, you know, it, we like to say it's, it's become a must have for corporate real estate. There's not a CEO and CFO in the world right now who's not thinking about their real estate. No right? kidding. And, and so they're going, what are we going to do? And can we do it better? And can we go forward on a position of, of effectively using the space rather than just having way more space than we need uh, all over the world? I think that's amazing, right? I mean, I, I still can't get over the fact that you were saying pre-COVID, the CFOs, the leaders who are managing the real estate portfolio, you know, they were okay with this inefficiency. They had too much space. It was underutilized, but whatever. It wasn't really a conversation. And now all of a sudden, you know, for the past 18 months, this has become the conversation to have. So I know that you guys have probably gone through, you know, a, a big roller coaster of emotions as a company that, that manages the space, but it's probably for the better that you now have a solution that can shed light on how to make the future better. Absolutely. It has been a roller coaster for sure, Alan. And it's, it's been it's just knowing this, right? You're, you're screaming from the rooftops and nobody's listening. And you finally like are resonating completely with everyone saying, hey, man, I hear you now. Let's get on this. And you've got the attention of senior leadership and they're really laser focused on it. And, and I think they have the op they see the opportunity now and there's no 
those there's it's also the massive catalyst for change mm-hmm. right you know the real estate organization always is trying to affect change to get the business to use their space more efficiently but it's been a hoarded commodity where people would hoard their space and they'd have extra space or they wouldn't give it up because they think they're hiring more people and their business plan is supposed to grow but guess what it doesn't grow so everybody has this extra space all over the place and it's super efficient but the that's just the nature of, of business and it has always been. And real estate's job was to affect change. Well, COVID has affected change. That's the decision is done. And so now they're going, they don't got to go hat in hand and trying to convince the business that real estate is changing. It's changing and for all the right reasons. And now everybody's kind of doesn't really get violently object to uh, using space more efficiently. They all get it now and everyone's on board with it. Andrew, let me jump in because you've really talked about sort of how the world is changing and this opportunity that folks have been awakened to. Can you take us back to when you decided to pivot in the early days of COVID? You've been commended for what you did to support your customers. Can you just tell us what you did there to pivot? And Talk about surreal. So here you got a whole bunch of folks sitting around their monitors watching the world's offices empty out. Yeah. And no, right, not high into the right. It's just sort of falling and you're watching it and it's amazing. Like you're going, oh my God, look at that. You know, we're down to like finally like 1% and now the office is practically empty. It's like, oh my God. And of course we're scared to death, right? Because for our business, I'm thinking, oh my God, are we finished? Mm-hmm. What's happening now? Uh, where are we going from here? Um, but soon the phone started ringing and and our customers, you know, you don't realize and we didn't realize that. When we, we work with big banks and government insurance companies, and, and we realize that a big part of their back office systems are still so antiquated that people have to, you can't move that heavy iron home. You have to sit in the office and work on these big server platforms. That's how the world's banks, a lot of them are still operated. They have huge organizations offshore that work on these heavy systems. Guess what? They, they weren't able to go home. And so we, we, we're like, oh my God, okay, gotcha. We, we can help, I think. Um, you have essential workers, they're in the office. We need to figure something out. So we pivoted immediately to be able to say to them, okay, let's track occupancy. We can understand who is in the office, how many people are in the office. We were then able to say, okay, we know how many are there. We can also use our sensors to figure out how they're spaced out. So mm-hmm. lots of safe distancing. And that was meaningful because how long have people been in the office and how far apart are they? And, and we can model that and show show customers what that looks like so they can feel like their people are safe. And then then turning it towards the cleaning and being able to say, okay, these, these parts of the office need to be clean. There has been occupancy there. Let's use the data to uh, real-time control the cleaning apparatus of, of what gets cleaned when and who's what seats have been used and not been used and sort of do real-time cleaning and what we call safe seats mm-hmm. uh, through it. So we were relevant. We were relevant all of a sudden. And it was, and it was, you know, to be in the middle and the deep part of the pandemic there where we suddenly had something that was relevant for our customers. And, and, and it, it had to do with the safety of their people, right? So it was not just relevant. It was meaningful for, for logics and for our people to be doing something that was meaningful. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you've gone from a top level metric that is looking at cost per employee or, or square footage per employee. So basically a cost equation to, uh, you know, <laughs> not, not how dense 
but how separated are people or you know which areas are they being you know are are being occupied or which areas are safe areas clean areas you know green areas so all of a sudden your your sensor and your ability to analyze and look at this data and and see trends you know, had a whole bunch of different use cases. You don't think of, because you really, you know, what the news was talking about was everybody leaving the office, right? But you're right. There are certain industries, departments that couldn't, you know, there was probably, I, I don't know about healthcare, if, if you've got a lot of footprint in healthcare, but that probably would have been another very interesting one to track. Yeah. Yeah. We do do some healthcare for sure. It's not our it's one of our smaller verticals, but for sure the healthcare community was was all over the data with respect to what was going on in, in those spaces too. And it, it's really interesting to see the shift and the shift now. So that's kind of in the middle of the mess now. One interesting trend that we're seeing is it's not all about cost, right? It, it is about the employee experience. It's very much about that. And cost is is kind of the digital exhaust, I like to say. That's a byproduct. You can be more efficient with your space, but Try to take care of your people first and make their experience of work better using our data. And an interesting one now is the whole thing has shifted to how do I create an experience that entices people to come back to the office? Guess what? Like a lot of companies around the world are not structured to allow people just to work from home forever. It, you read about it and it seems like a nice thing, but and a lot of companies for sure are, are trying to quickly morph and change so that they can do it. But there's, you know, there's insurance, there's taxes, there's risk, there's all these things for big companies. It's not simple. You don't just turn on a dime. And so people, you know, you this insight, they fill out the survey and say, I'm going to come in the office two, three days a week, but everybody's just answering. I feel like answering the way they think the company wants them to answer. For sure, I'm going to come in two days, three days a week. And then their behavior, when you model the data, you know, you're trying to say, okay, we're going to open the office. It's going to be 25% of our people are going to return. Okay, that's great. And then it's 5%. And then the next day it's 2%. And then guess what? Nobody's coming in. And so for the our, our, our customers, our corporate real estate leaders are just really, in some cases, struggling to say, well, oh boy, this is not as easy as we thought. How do we change the office to be more collaborative in nature to create safe spaces to create all these things that will entice people to return to the office. We don't want to just mandate return. We want to entice them to say, you got to get out of the house for a couple of days and here's why you should come in. Have you seen any ahas in the data, any Eurekas there linked to employee experience or where you're seeing the results of companies tweaking certain things and, and occupancy actually going up yet or is that too soon? Yeah, till, still too soon. I definitely see it east to west. So we see uh, Asia Pac, uh, EMEA, and now North America, kind of the three segments. Uh, Asia Pac, of course, came back the first and earliest and back and forth, right? We're still seeing the back and forth. We're open, we're closed again, we're open. So the patterns have not evolved, but in, certainly there's, there's no question, I think in North America, the, the return is slower than everybody is, is hoping and anticipating. It, every month it pushes another month, it pushes another month, and now we're into first quarter of next year will be the big return and the the data just like it just keeps kicking kicking the can down the road i hope i hope that's the case and the world gets better and we get to come back but the data just shows that there's an anticipated return percentage and the reality is it's far lower and folks come in so andrew for companies and and maybe i'm thinking uh, of our space <laughs> self-centered right now but for companies that haven't 
thought about the utilization, you know, the retention of their employees, the, the employee satisfaction, companies that aren't measuring these metrics yet, you know, what's your advice? I mean, what, what should they be looking at? You know, obviously they should all be using, you know, your, your services, but where should they start? You know, what's your advice on somebody who hasn't grappled with this data yet? I think, Alan, everybody could get a better just handle on how their space is actually used. Just simple things, right? Like, what is the occupancy of your office and utilization and how is your space actually used? And and it's very insightful, I think, when folks realize, holy cow, that's not what I thought. It's not the pattern and it's not what I thought. And I always thought, oh, we're empty on these days and we're full on these days. And this these collaboration spaces are heavily used. And, and the reality is probably not that. It's not what you think. And so understanding just the basics of how your people use your space today will 100% inform how you will use space in the future and how you're going to model what kind of space you need moving forward. And it'll be very insightful. Yeah, and I think what's interesting too, and you mentioned it earlier, it's it's observing the behaviors as opposed to, you know, asking what people think they're going to do, because I think those two things can be quite different folks feeling like, when do they need to be in the office? Well, I need to be in the office when these folks are in the office so that I'm seen in the office, so that I'm part of the team, right? That pressure of being seen. And I think that's a that's a big one to watch, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is, this is a massive global science experiment. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be really cool to see. And we're trying to pattern also when people are working from home, what is their work kind of persona? What, what is your pattern, Alan? What's Alan's pattern? Well, Alan, I can get data around Alan's pattern. You're on Teams. You're using things that are collecting data. We can capture that data. We can see when Alan comes into the office. We can see when Alan works at Starbucks. We can start to unfold Alan's persona and how Alan uses space and how can we design space that's more effective for all the Alans of the world. Oh, I worry that it'd be very dull, but... <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? When the company gets down to that level of data, which is coming, we can start to create a better space that's most effective. Yeah, I mean, the, the, future, is, the future is not going to be lacking data. There's going to be more and more of it to sort of paint a picture. As you said, separate signal from noise. Let's take that thread of data back through your career, Andrew, because this isn't your first rodeo. You founded multiple companies. How has your relationship, your data journey changed over time and how you view and use metrics? Yes, not my first rodeo. The I find it really interesting because when I first started out and I built a, a services-based company and it was a different a different animal, right? It was about making money and profit. It was a profit-generating kind of exercise, a services-based organization. And in my early days, I remember uh, E-Myth Mastery was a book that I read about systematizing how to, how to systematize a business. Everything is a process. Everything can be measured. Everything, you know, kind of results in how do you build a company? Well, if you don't measure it and you don't track it, you don't understand it, then you're not going to be successful. And and that that kind of set me out on a journey of, of definitely saying, okay, well, I got it now. These are processes. They can be systematized and measured, and that's going to result in our ability to understand our numbers, which understands our costs and our revenue, and you can understand whether you're going to make money and you can understand whether it's going to scale, right? And it, it, every business is like that, a standard business. And then when I got into a venture-backed tech company and started uh, Relogix and we started and we raised capital, well, it's a diff it's different and, you, you know, your metrics change with respect to the audience and who who's looking at them if you're trying to uh, run a company and it's a SaaS company your metrics are very much different from your product perspective and your lens changes 
And you have to develop a set of metrics for the audience and make sure that that you're crisp and clear on what those metrics are that are important to them. So if it's your investors, it's one lens. If you're operating the company and it's your team and leadership team, it's a different lens. You got to understand what the lens, you got to understand the audience, you got to understand uh, each of those, but each one is 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 also, uh, you know, we're not doing things that haven't been done before and there's methodologies and approaches and you can easily find them and apply them and learn quickly and adapt quickly. You're not inventing the metrics as far as how a SaaS company runs and you're not inventing the metrics of what a venture investor is looking for with respect to metrics. If you just get the best practice out there and lean on it pretty good, then you can you can move pretty quickly. And that's I think that's what I've learned. Don't have to reinvent it all. There's lots out there you can get your hands on and, and just start working on it. Let me jump in there because you know something that is dear to my heart and important to to Clipfolio is we're really at the core of it trying to help people succeed with data. So when I say that phrase, you know, succeed with data, what does that mean to you? Well, firstly, Alan, I love that mission. I'd like to use it for Relogics if I could. No, it's so relevant, obviously, because our our clients, our corporate real estate customers that we serve, right? We're we're trying to help them succeed with data. That's what we're doing too. But it's in the lens of our customer community. And we've always been a data company. So for me, that resonates. Obviously, it's totally near and dear to what, what we do every day. And if you were to build on that, Andrew, and our last question for you today, what one piece of advice would you give to other founders to help them succeed with data? Really understand where you are in your journey. So if you're just starting out and you're looking for product market fit, get close to your customers and your product and understand the metrics associated with that stage of growth and be really crisp on that and knowing what you're measuring to try to get to the next stage. When you arrive at finally product market fit and it looks like you're you're going to make it, you're into the growth, the messy middle, I like to call it, uh, then it's the next stage and you've got to grow up and look at that next stage of growth and understand, okay, now what's important here and what am I measuring now and how do I build out the data that I need to inform these metrics so I can you know, go through the next stage of growth of the company as I go along. It's a journey for sure. And, it's, and there are different things you got to pay attention to and care about at each phase of that growth uh, journey that you're on. And I think that's the important part is to recognize where are you, what is important right now, and what are you measuring to try to demonstrate that you're being successful at each of those stages? I love looking at metrics in different stages. It just brings so much clarity to exactly what you're measuring. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today. Andrew Miller is the CEO of Relogix. Uh, we've chatted about hardware. We've chatted about software. We've chatted about the future of when people are actually going to go back into the office. Andrew, thank you so much. Right on. Thanks for having me on today. If you enjoyed today's conversation about metrics and data, be sure to check out Metric HQ, our online resource for the metrics that matter most to you and your business.